Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Hope you're keeping safe and sound and healthy and you and yours are all doing okay. It's still strange and weird and scary out there, folks. So look after yourselves. Wash your hands. Wear a mask. Keep your distance. Be sensible. You have no idea how much of a difference it might make one way or the other. So, look, we're recording, or I'm recording this, just after Arsenal's 3-2 win over Benfica in the Europa League. I mean, there's ways to do things, easy ways, less easy ways, difficult ways, extremely difficult ways. And then I think this football club that we're all wedded to, that we have no choice but to be on the ride with, they they take it to the next fucking level, don't they? They really, they really do. If there's a way of making life virtually impossible for yourself, we will find a way to do it. We could die of hypothermia while being sunblasted in a 120 degree desert. We could drown in an inch of water or something. Somehow, some way, we would, <laughs> we'd just be able to do it. And tonight, of course. We were on the brink of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, what is it when you go out, when you're elimination? That's it. I knew it began with E. My brain isn't quite with it tonight. Uh, but yeah, look, we were on the brink of elimination, not because Benfica were good, but because we did some stupid things. And look, we pulled it out of the bag. We scored some goals, uh, good goals too. And I think we'll talk about those, but holy shit, they, they don't have put you through the ringer, this football club. So look, we're going to get on with the discussion and I'm delighted to welcome two guests with me on the show this evening. First up, he's one half of the Stadio podcast on Ringer FC. You can also hear him on Wrighty's house with Ian Wright, also on Ringer FC. It's Ryan Hun. Hey, Ryan, how are you? Very well, thanks, Andrew. You? I'm all right, thank you. And we also have from Arsblog News and the co-presenter of the Left Field Podcast, it's Andrew Allen. Hello, Andrew. Good evening. On the, Andrew, on the um, holy fuck we make life tough for ourselves ometer, where does tonight stand for you? Yeah, it's definitely up there, isn't it? Mm. I mean, I, I I think just after we made those final substitutions and we were well, not the final, final substitutions, mm. but the, the substitutions kind of going for the game and we suddenly seemed to just completely lose it. And, you know, there was a five minute spell where we couldn't get anywhere near the ball. And I was just like, we're going out here. There's no way we can recover from this. <laughs> and then what the players are doing. And then that little genius Saka just stepped up and saved us. And, you know, fair play to Aubameyang. I mean, stayed on side got in the right place, nailed it. Ryan, uh, you know, how was your heart during that second half? <laughs> it was actually quite zen. I, I, don't, I keep making a joke on the Stadio podcast this year about how I'm quite zen about Arsenal. Um, I refuse to get, I know football's escapism for us all, but I refuse to let this football club bother me during a pandemic in the way that it would do when it was very normal. So I try and stay quite zen about Arsenal until afterwards. But yeah, they did... Uh, they did give us a moment or two, but weirdly, I just thought I was just like, "Well, you know, we're playing our we're playing our home game in Athens, so if we're going to go out, then I could probably deal with it a little bit more than it would be in a normal season, if that makes sense." Yeah, no, I wasn't necessarily on board with the whole look. This is this is the the most Arsenal <laughs> thing of all time. Like, you know, I, you know, people would go, "Yeah, isn't it the most Arsenal thing of all time to go out during uh, a pandemic?" 
on the away goals rule in a game uh, a tie you've you play both games basically away from home I mean it would be kind of funny but not really um, you know so I, I'm glad we got there in the end I think that's probably the thing we should celebrate there's obviously a lot to get into and a lot we can discuss during the game but you know the fact that we got there in the end and we did manage to pull it out of the hat uh, after making life uh, as difficult for ourselves as we could possibly make it but Andrew you know we started um I want to say we started well, but I'm not necessarily sure we did. I think what worried me in the early stages of the game was the slowness of the build-up. And there's, I think, a fine line, isn't there, between slow and patient and just ponderous and not quite intense enough. And I think we were too far the other way. Yeah, there were definitely a couple of moments in the sort of first 15, 20 minutes where David Luiz was doing that thing where he kind of receives the ball stands on it, does a lot of pointing, waits for a while, passes mm. it to Xhaka, gets it back. And you're kind of like, come on, guys, like, there's a game to win here. Um, but to be fair, I, 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 I mean, look, I felt off the back of the first half of the first game, to be honest, that we were a better side, that we had more quality, that they didn't really have a whole lot going on up front. It was really just a case of asserting ourselves. And like you say, it was more frustrating that we didn't kind of just go ahead and take the you know, ball by the, you know, the game by the scruff of the neck, the ball by the horns. I think I was going with two directions there. Um, yeah, look, I mean, it it, it, it worked out in the end, but I, I do want to see more from this Arsenal team when it comes to just a bit more pace, a bit more tempo, you know? I mean, we've actually gone and managed to get a whole load of collective players finally into the team over the last few weeks. And it did feel like we were maybe labouring a little bit too much waiting for Aubameyang to make runs before making passes and stuff but it's it's getting there I do feel like we're a work in progress and we're positive and I feel like even if we'd gone out tonight I could still see something there to build on so I'm trying to sort of yeah sort of stay positive I guess Ryan I mean what do you think I mean I, I take Andrew's point there when you look at the front four Aubameyang Saka Smithrow Odegaard there is definitely a bit of um, zip to the way that they play. But I think behind them, you know, we we don't quite match it. Uh, you know, Granit Xhaka is Granit Xhaka. We all know that. He plays the game kind of at his own pace, even though I think he does try to be a bit more positive than people give him credit for. Danny Ceballos, who I'm sure will come on to in terms of the night that he had and one he'll want to forget in a, in a very big hurry. You know, again, as somebody who likes a lot of touches on the ball, Hector Bellerin, you know, I looked at him tonight and, and I see him down the right-hand side and he's he kind of looks like somebody just standing on the edge of a crowd at times rather than somebody who's looking to contribute. And, and Kieran Tierney, who made a big contribution, obviously, again, I'm not 100% sure he's he's like fully fit. So there was a bit of a, a, a dichotomy between what we had going forward and trying to connect that that with the, the, the people we had behind who weren't quite playing at the pace that those guys further forward need. Yeah, I think that's where you see the importance of Thomas Partey already. Mm. He's probably, I th- I'm not sure if you and James were talking about it on the Ask Us Extra, but he's probably the quickest, he's made the quickest transi- transition from be- literally being a new signing to being like a new signing. <laughs> where he, like when he came on, I think he just made everything gel more. Yeah. He's, he has this, he has this, he's a bit of a unicorn in terms of a player that Arsenal have had for a while and that he has the ability to kind of calm everything down when it needs to be calm, but also inject some pace into Arsenal's progressive play when it needs to and I think that they just don't have another midfielder like that mm. and I think to, to your point about Hector Bellerin I think Hector's an intri- intriguing one at the moment because I think that in Saka for the first time he has a a potential partner that he could build a really good relationship with on that right hand side that I think actually they both kind of complement each other's skill sets for example, like when Saka actually made his goal, I know we'll probably come on to it, but for the first assist, like his movement inside because he was just basically getting no joy outside. I think Hector is smart enough to then figure that out to to make the movement outside, whereas he's often mm. asked a lot of time to come inside. So I think it's just building these little partnerships and Arsenal's starting 11 has been so all over the place all season. Like even if you look at the centre-back pairing for tonight compared to a couple of days ago or even a few weeks ago. Yeah. But I think that with everything that's been going on, in addition to a bit of a like topsy-turvy or what's the word, like the, the squad hasn't been able to build any sense of momentum. And therefore, I think you're, what you're missing is these little partnerships all over the pitch. 
So I think that that's maybe where you see the, the, the quite a stark shift from the front and the back. Because we were saying on Righty's House last week, I think, that that three behind Aubameyang looks like it's going to be really fun when they, well, hopefully when they mm. get a rest and then they get to gel a bit more. Yeah, I mean, look, there's there's a lot of creative talent in the team. And, and actually, for the first time, I was looking at a game where I looked at the bench and thought, OK, well, we've got loads of options here. We do actually genuinely have loads of forward options. You know, how you like them individually, you know, from one to ten is, a, is a, a, you know, an objective or subjective thing for everybody out there. But when you think about Pepe... Uh, Martinelli, of course, neither of whom got on the pitch. Uh, Willian, Lacazette, um, there's somebody else I'm forgetting as well, I'm sure, you know. But uh, Thomas Partey, of course, you know, to add that quality in midfield. There was something about the bench. So when we did go 2-1 down and it was a bit of a like, oh, fuck, here we go moment, I, I did at least, Andrew, gain some confidence from what we what we had on the bench and what we had in order to, to try and turn it around. So I'll come back to that, though. But let, let's talk the first goal and let's talk about Bukayo Saka. Um, look, Aubameyang's movement, he hangs on the shoulder of the defender. The pass is, you know, Fabregas-esque, that kind of little cut inside pass. Uh, great finish. Um, but, you know, Saka, whatever has gone on with him in the last number of weeks, he really has become such an important part of this team. And you can understand why he doesn't get rested. Yeah, I can absolutely understand why he doesn't get rested. And I thought it was really interesting that actually, you know, he he picked up the ball a lot off Odegaard, it felt like, in the first half. There was a lot going on between the two of them and a connection there that maybe Smith-Rowe potentially lacked with Odegaard. I don't know whether it was just a kind of tendency on Odegaard's sort of part to sort of hover towards Saka's side of the pitch. But Mm. um, I thought they looked like good together, dangerous together, like they were capable of causing mischief together. And... um, I mean, it was just a it was just a fantastic pass. It was exactly the type of pass that you know that Aubameyang absolutely loves, and you know I, you can tell that Aubameyang actually loves playing with Saka. Like there's this just genuine chemistry between the two, and I know there's a big age gap, but there seems like there's a real sort of almost father son connection going on there. Um, <laughs> knew exactly what he was going to do, finished it exactly as you want it to be finished. I mean, he couldn't have. have have done it any better I don't think it was it was perfect the finish um, and obviously off the back of having been offside so many times in the away game in Rome last week like it was just really interesting to see that when the ball is played that split second earlier it makes it makes all the difference I think we did kind of have a bit of a tendency last week to hold on to it a little bit too long I think you know with Sabayos and Odegaard there is a little bit of a you know they like having the ball at their feet, but Saka's a bit quicker sometimes, and um, that definitely made the difference today. Mm, the offside thing was interesting. Uh, you know, um, watching Aubameyang, he was hanging offside and then moving back, and you know, obviously that gives the defender something to think about. He got it right for that one. There are a couple of other moments where it didn't quite go uh, as well as you would like, but um, you know, were you a little worried, Ryan, that we didn't quite capitalize on that? Um, you know that that was a goal was about what twenty odd minutes into the game. I can't remember exactly um, when we scored that, but then you're looking to sort of kick on and and really um, dominate the rest of that half. Instead, it just felt a little bit slow, didn't it? it you know, and then we get into that issue. Was about twenty. Yeah, 21 minutes we scored. And then just before the halftime break, uh, they score what I think is a really excellent goal. The free kick, the giveaway was clumsy. I don't know why Ceballos was, you know, dropping quite as deep as he did. But, you know, the foul is one thing. But when you see a guy put it in the top corner like that, it feels like you're being really harshly punished for, you know, a fairly simple foul. Yeah, I think I saw a few people tweeting just being like, of course it went in. Mm. Of course it went in. It just felt very like, yeah, of course it did. But I think you're right in terms of not capitalising on that lead. But I don't know whether it's just me, I don't know, being a little bit revisionist, but this seems to happen quite a lot during knockout stages in European competitions for Arsenal, where where we kind of get a goal ahead in the second leg. Or maybe it's just, I just assume this happens so much that it Mm. could be any game. But where... I don't know, because Benfica are, I mean, it's, I think in not wanting to digress too much, but it is a bit of a strange tie, this, because I think we still look at, as Arsenal fans, at some of the Euro, Europa League ties that we play through the prism of who we were playing at Champions League and that we're still at that kind of level. Mm. Whereas ultimately, it's what a mid-table side in the Premier League 
against a side that's 15 points off top in Liga Nosh. So it's just a weird, it's a weird kind of thing to figure out, like, actually, is this a good result? Are they better than us this season? Should we be absolutely hammering these? And I think that when you when when they went one goal ahead, you could see that it was a little bit like, well, we can't concede. Mm. So do we keep pushing? It reminded me a little bit of the, was it the Monaco tie a few years? Was it, was it the Monaco tie? Uh, or it might have even been the, the Olympiacos one where it was just Arsenal gets caught sometimes in these European knockout moments. And I think there's a little bit of a bit of muscle memory kicks in there's where they're a, just expecting the worst anyway. Yeah, there's been a few, um, haven't there, where it's yeah, been some, like, which, it's which, like, which yeah, terrible they were night all just in one. I just, yeah. it, whenever it happened, when the free kick went in, I just, I was, yeah, I thought I'd, I was like, I've seen this movie. Mm. I think I've seen this movie. Well, I mean, um, it is it is a weird one to try and and uh, get on top of, but I, you know, I can't escape the fact, you know, that that Benfica aren't really that good. It, the three goals that they've got in this game were okay. One is a brilliant free kick. Take nothing away from the guy, but when you give a professional footballer uh, a free kick from twenty two, twenty three yards out, that's the perfect position. You know, these guys practice this all the time, so you know. They, um, they've got a reasonable chance of causing you a problem with that. And that's kind of a gift that we gave them from the goal penalty. Uh, and then the, the, the second goal that they got tonight, of course, was a, was a horrendous mistake. So I think, you know, you can look at Benfica and say, well, they've scored three times against us. But, you know, I, I think as I said on the blog today, Thursday on the day of the game, that like the biggest opponent we have is ourselves. Mm. And we went some way to making that very true by, by, I won't say gifting them both goals, but certainly playing a big part. Yeah, I mean, they were both, they both came from Arsenal errors, well, specifically Danny Ceballos errors. And I mm. think that that's just, it was a little bit unfortunate. I think you, I mean, it was a great free kick, but, you know, maybe eight times out of 10 that, doesn't bother Burnt Leno as much as it did. Mm. And then the, the header was, I know we'll probably come onto it, but yeah, I mean, again, it's just one of those that, I wonder if you got a call and it's kind of like, when you see it, when you see them break, you kind of think, well, there must be a call there somewhere. So I, I'm, I'm always a little bit, like with the Allison thing a few weeks ago against Leicester, for example, I was like, a lot of that depends on whether he's called or not because there is, it kind of takes two to tango in a scenario mm. like that. The person who makes the error often cops the flack. But that's why everyone else is there, right? You know, you're communicating with each other. So I do, I'd be really interested to know what was actually being yeah. said when the ball was like kind of heading forward. I would too. I mean, they were saying on the commentary, oh, well, there was no, no talking there, no communication. Of course, nobody can hear whether there was communication or not or what was shouted. I mean, uh, it's a daft piece of play from, from Sabias, Andrew. But, you know, just before we delve into that a bit more I mean where, where do you stand on the the quality of Benfica versus the quality of Arsenal does it you know does it say much about or as much about us that we made it as hard for ourselves against a team who without the gifts that we gave them really didn't cause us any problems I, I sense throughout the you know both both legs that they were a side that have got some decent technical quality but they didn't seem to have a guy up front that they necessarily trusted who's mm. going to be a kind of you know a, a talisman for them um i always felt when they broke and i think we saw that a couple of times in the first half that there seemed to be this huge gap between a couple of runners and they didn't seem to get anybody in the box it's something mm. that we've had a problem with in the past as well i mean frankly when we came into the tie you think okay benfica pedigree history you know great players all the rest of it but i did also look at their like main defence and think for Tongan, Otamendi and I was like they're you know they're ageing Premier League players there's nothing to be worried about there and then mm. you look at Tarabd in the midfield and I was thinking okay he's had a weird roller coaster career but again it's someone you know but you also know him not to be a superstar and I, I just there was just something about it I just kept thinking like we need to come into this game feeling confident, you know, believing in ourselves. And I know that that's maybe difficult for some of the younger guys because they really have never done it before. You know, they're being trusted with a lot of responsibility. And um, there's a lot of pressure that comes with that. Um, but I, I, I always sense that we were, we were the better team. And if we went out, I mean, I was so frustrated after the first leg. I really was because mm. I felt like they were there for the taking. And I also felt like there's something about the way you treat some of those games and the knock-on effect it has with your 
league campaign and we knew we were going to have City. We knew that was going to be a game that you know Arteta wouldn't want to lose. So he was going to play a relatively strong side. And we know that you've got Leicester coming up as well. So, you know, you kind of want to really go for it in the first game and then, you know, I don't know. But we've got there in the end. I'm glad we did. But, you know, there are going to be better sides coming up for sure. Mm. Um, absolutely. Uh, just sticking with you, Andrew, Danny Ceballos, uh, you know, who I thought was, you know, he was having an OK game in the centre of midfield until it all went pretty wrong for him. Um, that's not usually what he does, in fairness. I think he's been a pretty solid player for us. It just feels a bit typical that tonight was the night where he had one of those nights for maybe the first time in his Arsenal career, you know, when we were perhaps more worried about what we might do to ourselves than what Benfica might do to us. Yeah, I've literally just seen he's tweeted. He said, this is football and you can always learn and make up for your errors up to the next round. Thank goodness. Let's go Gunners. Thank you. Did he say thank goodness? (laughs) Yeah, he did. Um, which is uh, yeah, credit to I his English teacher. Pretty good, indeed. Um, yeah, I've not seen a player more relieved to go off than he did in that moment. I don't think anyone's <laughs> ever expected a substitution as much as he did as well. Um, yeah, yeah, wasn't wasn't his night? Uh, I mean, I said to you just before coming to recording, like, I mean, you know, when you're writing a match report, you've always got one eye on the game, but you've never really got two, mm. and. Um, we had a corner and I, I was sort of tapping away thinking, okay, whatever. And suddenly I looked up and the bloke was rounding Leno. And I was like, how on earth has that happened? <laughs> and um, it wasn't until I saw the replay and I looked at it, I was like, oh dear, that is not, that is not pretty. But I mean, it, it it's, it's a goal we've conceded before. I'm almost certain we've, we've made these types of errors previously. I mean, like you said, I, I, I had nothing, you know, I didn't have a kind of black mark against Danny off the back of the first half. I mean, yeah, he made a slightly clumsy challenge that the guy scored from 25 yards on a free kick. Mm. But it wasn't like, you know, he'd done anything particularly wrong. I thought he'd been quite central to a lot of our play. I think in terms of providing backup to, to party, he's, he's been very solid. And um, I do... I do like him on the ball. Um, he's not always as quick as maybe you might hope, but mm. um, yeah, by and large, no, no complaints. It was one of those nights for him and to, to have two of those errors go against him in one game. I mean, I'm not sure he would have bounced back from that given the pressure on the situation if we hadn't have won. Yeah, it would have been interesting to see what, what kind of a reaction he would have had. Um, yeah, because I, you know, I guess like everybody who's played football has made mistakes, and and you feel uh, terrible when something like that happens. And if you ultimately were responsible for the elimination from the Europa League and all the the fallout that that would have entailed, you know, on a night like tonight, I've seen a lot of discussion, a lot of talk about uh, all of that. We might touch on it in a few moments' time. So. Um, let me ask you this honestly, Ryan. When when he made his substitutions, I think Thomas Partey for for uh, Danny Ceballos felt very obvious to me. Um, we're in a game where we need to score goals. We need to make goals, um, not just one. We had to score two, and he threw on Willian. Um, how, how do you? How do you? I mean, was that brave? Is it? kind of stupid is it like working by the law of averages like at some point he has to do something you know and when you've got Pepe on the bench who've been playing well in the previous couple of weeks and you've got Gabriel Martinelli who uh, everybody wants to see on the pitch because we all have high hopes about what he can do I mean if you want your manager to be single-minded if you see that as a as a uh, what's the word as a positive aspect to his character? There was there was an example of it, right? I mean, yeah, I think our manager is pretty single minded, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and um, my honest answer is, I have no idea whether it was inspired or ludicrous. But I mean, results. It got the result. I think. I think those that. Um, I was actually texting with a friend just after the game and. Um, we agreed that you know Arteta does quite often get his substitutions wrong or cop quite a lot of flack for getting his substitutions wrong. Mm. But the way that everything panned out tonight, you can't really complain. And especially with, I mean, I actually tweeted, I was just like, is that is that a Willian assist? Not because it was like, 
I knew it was him who played the ball to Tierney, but I was just like, does that go? Does that go down? Because T- Tierney still had quite a lot to do. So I don't know whether you know the three touches and going round another player before burying mm. it is, you know, takes the assist away or what. But he did get the assist, and I think that the only re- the only reason I can assume that I mean I'm, I'm not wild about William on the left hand side anyway. I just, mm. I, th- but then again, we're not in training sessions every day, so. I'm kind of inclined to give the manager the benefit of the doubt and stuff like this because they clearly see so so much more and they they know what they're trying to do than obviously we have access to. But the only reason I assume that he maybe went for Willian instead of Pepe, for example, is that I think he wanted to keep the ball moving, and I think that Pepe, I think in 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 instance in that kind of stage of the game in that kind of game state, I think sometimes keeping the ball moving. I mean, you saw it in Manchester City against Gladbach, even though mm. people were saying that they were super dominant. I think their two goals came from them just circulating the ball to the point where Gladbach could barely breathe anymore and then they kind of kind of got them. Mm. So I, I think it was more on that as opposed to being like, William is going to go and Royal the Rovers us to like <laughs> European victory. I think it was maybe just a more of a solid substitution and it kind of paid off i can't re- i mean I, yeah. I feel, i'd feel weird criticizing it enough sure no i mean I, I get where you where you're coming from i think i saw some quotes afterwards i haven't had much time to look at the post game reaction and, and what he said but i think he talked about how having Willian allowed tierney to get into dangerous areas and and to be fair he got into one particularly dangerous area i think there's a the debate you know on what is what is exactly an assist is a really interesting one. Like, to me, Saka for Aubameyang, those are assists. Yeah. Playing a pass to a guy who then has to do a lot to score the goal, I'm not 100% convinced that you can really call it an assist. It feels like the sort of classification that works for, for fantasy football players because they have to score points over, you know, every player has to score a certain amount of points, you know? But I think, Andrew, one of the the things that was interesting was uh, I watched Willian uh, when he came on, and I'm, you know, I'm look. I was looking at him, going, "Look at him there, standing still. Look, look, he's standing." And then he sort of burst into life in a way that I haven't seen very often this season from Willian. We don't see it particularly often, and I wonder if he might look back on this and realize that, you know, if you actually sprint a little bit and move a little bit you can get into areas where you can play what could be classified as an assist, even if the purists among us might not necessarily put it down as one. Yeah. I mean, if it's taken it, you know, what is it? Seven, eight months of the season for William to realize that a bit of running is <laughs> is beneficial, then, then so be it. I mean, he's earned about 15 million quid in the process. So good for him. Nice work um, if you can get it. Look, I, I, I mean, there can't have been too many Arsenal fans who didn't kind of do a double take and a sort of, mm. oh, for fuck's sake, when they saw William coming on. And look, I, I, I know it's almost kind of gone beyond parody at this point. And I want, I, I really want the guy to come good. I, I really do because you know he's had such a, a stellar career that I know that he's not a bad footballer. But I just, he's just, it's just not so far happened for him at Arsenal. Um, and it must be a bit of a kick in the teeth to be behind three, you know, three guys who are under the age of 22 in the pecking order. Now, mm. um, I do think it's interesting, though, because we've obviously made a commitment to the player and Arteta must be very, very conscious of that. And he must be very, very conscious of the guy's age is standing in the squad and the fact that we can't really afford to just let another Ozil situation kind of play out. So mm. I think it's really important that he does give him the opportunities. And that was a big one. He really asked him to go into a big game and at the exact moment when we needed something to turn around. I'm not sure that he, you know, he wasn't a, a game changer per se, but he played his part and that's good. That may help his confidence and, you know, mm. maybe he'll get another start at the weekend, perhaps. I don't know. I mean, we, we just need to see him build his confidence back up bit by bit. Mm. I mean, can we talk, Andrew, about the Kieran Tierney reaction to the goal? Uh, A lot of, I I love, uh, like, 
an understated celebration I always really like. Like, you know, a guy who scores in the first couple of minutes of a game and doesn't go crazy because he knows it's the first couple of minutes of a game. And Tierney didn't run around looking for everyone to hug him. He was like, come on, you fuckers. You know, uh, people have uh, likened it to the goal and the celebration to a certain extent to Bakary Sanya against Spurs a few years ago. You remember that that header where he said, fuck this, I'm not taking it anymore. Get in the fucking back of the net, you ball, and we'll go from here, which is exactly what happened. It felt a little bit like that with Tierney's goal tonight and the way he reacted to it. Like 100%, I tweeted exactly the same thing. It was all I could think about after the goal. And (laughs) there was something about how hard he hit the ball that kind of added to that. Like he was really like, this is not a scrappy goal. This is get in the back of the net. Let's get on with it. And that, to be honest, did give me some hope. You know, it it Mm. teed me up as a supporter sitting on the sofa, you know, a thousand miles away. So I can only imagine like amongst the teammates, you know, it must have, it, it did something. I mean, it was so important that we got that goal quickly because it would have been very easy for the game just to drift away at us from us at that point. Mm. And given our record of, you know, you know, we struggled so much for goals this season. Um, I, I wouldn't have backed us to score two in the last 10 minutes for sure. So um, brilliant from Tierney. I mean, it's just everything you want from a player. And uh, I guess it's incredible how important he is for a guy who's been in and out of the team so much this season. Um, it brings so much energy. I mean, almost every player on the pitch was looking to to give him the ball. I mm. thought Erdegaard in particular was really, really keen to try and spread the play out to him. Um, we've got to get better at getting on the end of some of his stuff. I mean, it, was, it says something that the player had to take the, you know, the game into his own hands and take mm. that shot. But it's good to know that we've got that. You know, I don't think we have enough other players around the pitch scoring goals. And you see, let's say Liverpool made such a big thing about their fullback creating and scoring goals. And, you know, I, I, I'd love to see Tierney become a kind of five, six goal a mm. season fullback. I mean, something like that would be amazing for us. Yeah, I mean, we don't even have a five or six goal central midfielder. So a five or six goal left back would be very <laughs> fucking useful. Uh, Ryan, I mean, uh, I don't know if you saw it. There was a video doing the rounds before the game where, you know, the way they have these open training sessions uh, before the, the European games. And, you know, people can fo- uh, film from a bit of a distance. And they were doing some kind of a drill. And uh, I think Tierney, they were doing like the one touch kind of thing. And I think Tierney got accused of maybe taking two touches. And David Luiz came over and Tierney didn't take very kindly to it the first thing he did was he ran away there's a group of footballs and he just fucking leathered one as far away as he could and he came back then and he was a bit like and there was another one lying there and he just fucking leathered that one as far as he could I mean um is that a David Luiz assist in its own way, whatever he did, he got <laughs> yeah, him like... Yeah, why not? <laughs> if you're going to give assists for all kinds of things, you might as well give him one for that. But, you know, he really did hit that ball with some conviction tonight. Yeah, I mean, we have a thing on Stadio, which was kind of born out of a goal that Viv Miedemar scored against Reading, I think it was, um, called the Angry Goal. Mm. And it was actually an award that we gave out in our end-of-year awards, Angry Goal of the Year. And it's really funny that whenever a goal like this happens... My mentions are just angry goal. That was an angry goal, right? Angry goal, angry goal. <laughs> and so many people were just like, Kieran Tierney, angry goal at Stadio. Kieran Tierney, angry goal at Right Hunters. Like, <laughs> I think I responded to one guy just being like, absolutely. That was it. It was a, it was a very angry goal. Because, and an angry celebration as well. The mm. kind of, the, the kind of, the clenched fist, like fucking, do I have to do this all myself, lads? Kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I struggle to uh, to find the words to praise Kieran Tierney enough. I think, I think he's, I think he has a potential. Well, there's an argument to be made that he's probably the best signing we've signed in the last few years. And um, even with Thomas Partey coming in, we haven't seen the, the true effect of, of or the benefit of having Thomas Partey mm. in the squad. I think, I think the upside to Kieran Tierney or his to quote a basketball term like his ceiling is so high. Um, for the price that we paid for him and what he's already delivered for us in in more than just his like footballing skill set as well, I think in terms of leadership at such a young age. I mean, this is a guy who's not even really in his mid twenties yet. Um, yeah, what is he? He's think, only twenty three, is he, or is he still twenty two? Yeah. Um, I just think he's incredible, and I hope he can maintain fitness for the rest of the season because I think his 
I think that Arsenal have had a tendency to sign a few players recently who maybe don't want to take on a leadership role at Arsenal as much. Mm. And I think as soon as he arrived, it was like, oh, this guy wants to. Like, this guy could be... You could give Carantini a captaincy. Well, I mean, obviously that would mean something happened with Aubameyang. But yeah. in theory, no one would really, I think, would would complain about it. And I think if you think about the captain situation at Arsenal over the last few years, especially under Unai Emery, I think that having a unanimously popular captain says a lot about a player. And he is someone who I think if you gave him the captaincy, there wouldn't be much pushback on from any any area of a very divided fan base. No, I don't think so. Andrew, any thoughts on that? I was going to bring up the C word when it came to, to Tierney and obviously oh, Aubameyang. No, that's fine. But like, you know, it is, it is an interesting discussion when you think about it because, you know, there's always this thing when Aubameyang has a quiet game, people go, he's not really a captain. And then, you know, tonight he scores two goals after a hat-trick in, you know, the game against Leeds. I know he's missed some chances, but, you know, you're, you're I think maybe our... Our um, idea of a captain, if you come from this part of the world, is quite uh, wedded in the old school ways of a Tony Adams or a, a Roy Keane or that classic kind of, you know, roll your sleeves up, get on with it kind of character. There are different ways of being a captain, different ways of being a leader. But I think naturally, Kieran Tierney ticks a lot of boxes for a lot of us. Yeah, it's funny because like... I keep looking at Tierney and I keep thinking like he still looks like a guy who's sort of he's obviously playing an integral role in the team but I still look at him and feel like he's only just joined in a way mm. and I know that he's kind of been around for 18 20 months now um he's I mean I think partly because he was obviously injured at the beginning and 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 there was a lot of you know talk about him being homesick and and and, and getting used to London life and all the rest of it but I do feel like he's sort of growing into it now. The players see that he's a leader just by what he does on the pitch in training. I mean, these days, like the captaincy comes with all sorts of other nonsense, you know, that having to stare mm. down the press, do the captains and all the rest. You know, there's a lot of kind of pastoral stuff that goes on in the background, you imagine, that um, is probably a bit of a distraction and the type of thing that I don't know whether Kieran Tierney particularly want to take on. Um, it's a bit of a burden probably for any professional player when there's so much pressure going on. You're trying to just stay fit and deliver good performances week in, week out. But I have to, he's, he's a great player. I mean, he's the old school, isn't he? I mean, that's why we all like him. You know, the shorts, uh, short sleeves every day. It doesn't mm. matter what the weather's like. You know, there's just something kind of almost... Yeah, I mean, he's just a throwback kind of character and he kind of revels in that and I like that. Um, uh, it's really hard not to. Uh, but I, yeah, I mean, look around the team. I mean, the funny thing is, is I guess, you know, any in any normal circumstances, a Granite Xhaka or a David Luiz would have the, the armband. And, you know, <laughs> we're kind of desperately trying to look past that to, to something new. Mm. Um, but, you know, I, I can live with Kieran just being a very good left back and not having the armband. Yeah, look, know. he's not going to have to worry about it for, for a little while yet anyway. So, um, look, so he he gets that goal. It's 2-2. When did he score that goal? With about, what, 20 minutes to go? Yeah, I think 67, 67th minute. Okay, so quite a good a uh, lot of time to go, yeah. Okay, uh, 67 minutes, yeah. So that leaves you 23 minutes plus stoppage time. So, you know, basically the best part of half an hour to get another goal. Now, we didn't make another change until Alexandra Lacazette came on, Ryan, and, and you're thinking, okay, if, you know, we, we keep going the way we're going. And I think what was, you know, another thing that, that we did when we brought Lacazette on was, was concede possession and territory to Benfica in a way that we weren't doing before. We changed the system, Saka went to the right back, and and I think we affected the balance of the team in a negative way. So it was immediately, uh, I was sitting there going, bring on another sub, bring on Pepe, put him somewhere, maybe even put him on for Odegaard and play him in that central position, or, you know, by all means, put on uh, Martinelli for Willian, uh, as far as I'm concerned, you know. Uh, but in the end, I mean, is the manager justified in the end because we got the win or was he slightly lucky or was it a case that by continuing to play the way he thought we should play, he got the reward from players who knew exactly what he wanted? There was part of me when it happened that he, th I thought he's, I think he was, I, I got the impression that he was banking on Benfica not pushing on too much. So even though we kind mm. of did, 
um, like let them have the ball a little bit more. I think he knew that they weren't really going to, they didn't need to score again. They were still going through, right? So mm. I think for him, he maybe assumed that there would be opportunities to push them a little bit further back. And actually, I think that started to happen. Yeah, there was a couple of moments. And I think it started, the, the, the moment where I noticed that it started to happen was because Arsenal started to do this thing and it really frustrates me where I think Lacazette, I think Lacazette, for example, as a substitute is a really good one at that time of the game because I think he's a bit of a pest for defenders, especially defenders who have played almost the whole game already and they're getting a little bit leggy. I think actually having Lacazette to, to deal with can be quite a problem for them. So I thought that bringing Lacazette on was a smart move. I wasn't sure about the rejig, but then there was the there was a couple of times where there were a couple of times where he would link up quite well and then just bolt for the box as if to be like you know mixer mixer kind of thing like <laughs> old school. And I was just like, why are we doing this? Like, why are we doing that? And then weirdly, the goal came from it, and I was a bit like, oh, actually, that's yeah, maybe that kind of kind of does work so it was it was it was it's, i i oft, i think i've given up trying to figure out what's going on at any time but arsenal <laughs> at the moment because it's just like it's like i said before at the top of the show like i try and be quite zen about them and mm. i'm like well me worrying about this right now <laughs> isn't going to change the outcome of what i know is going to happen in 15 minutes so i'm just gonna let it see see what happens i know that's a bit of a fence-sitting way to frame this but i was a bit like I mean, if I'm being brutally honest, I didn't think that we'd go through. The way that the game was kind of playing yeah. out until the goal, I was like, I think this is it. I can't see us. I couldn't actually really see us fashioning another chance. We don't it. score late no. goals. You know, as a rule, no. it's not something we do. No, yeah. Although, and, uh, I wish we did a little bit more because they're really yeah. fun. They are. Even they're great. Without, <laughs> even without fans. Yeah, Europa <laughs> I mean, uh, Andrew, what, what did you make of the Lacazette substitution? Like, okay, you need a goal, you throw on a striker. But I think he just had five touches of the ball, made two passes. He really didn't get involved in anything dangerous. So, you know, is there, you know, the argument that, okay, we got out of jail and Saka got us out of the jail that we put ourselves in, in many ways. Um, you know, the substitution of Lacazette, which obviously was made to give us more attacking threat, didn't really, and it was up to the genius on the right-hand side and the arch-poacher goal scorer, who we know, if you put him in positions like that, more often than not is going to score. Yeah, look, I, I was literally just looking through over what Arteta said post-game about why he didn't like turn to Pepe or Martinelli instead. And he, mm. his, his analysis is that uh, there wasn't much space to run in behind. It was really two tight lines, you know, 4-4, 1-1 four, four, mm. one, one, and 5-3-2 at times. So I think what he was expecting was you have to have players who can keep the ball in and around the edge of the box and try and either work a cut back or across mm. to someone who actually gets on the end of it rather than just assume that you're going to be able to play you know, nice through balls to guys running on. So I, yeah, I mean, at the same time, I mean, it was pretty obvious. There was a good five minutes there from about 78 minutes or so onwards where I was watching us and I was like, oh my God, like we have completely ceded any kind of dominance here. Um, I was looking at the, the, the lineup and I was trying to figure out if we were playing three at the back, whether mm. uh, uh, Saka was playing as a, a wing back. I couldn't quite make sure or couldn't quite figure it out. At times it looked like we just had two defenders um, and there were these massive big gaps in midfield and they just seemed to be kind of walking through all over us. I was like, what? what is going on here? And after, you know, it took a few moments, we settled down a little bit um, and... But you're right. I mean, Lacazette didn't contribute a huge, a huge amount in those circumstances, it has to be said. But uh, I, at that point, it was really going to be a case of create one chance, see if you can take it. If you don't, you're out. And, you know, we got lucky tonight, I think. Mm. Yeah, I mean, people will say that the uh, the third goal was really high quality, and I think it was. Mm. Andrew, just sticking mm. with you very quickly. I mean, it's a, it's a great little shift inside, a great ball. Uh Really good movement from Aubameyang. Really good finish. I, you know, I'm looking at what he's done since he's moved to centre forward in this position. I think we can maybe just write off the the Man City game because of the kind of game that it was and the kind of opposition they are. So if you look at the Leeds game, you look at the Benfica game, you look at the Benfica game again tonight. You know, people can pick the bones out of. Um, 
the first leg where he didn't score, but he had chances. You know, at least three good chances at Leeds. He scored a hat-trick, had a couple of other good chances, hit the bar. Tonight, he's got two goals, which have sent us through. I mean, is that not something that, you know, if we accept that this is a team which is imperfect and which is, you know, maybe still trying to figure out how to play this way, that we're creating so much for Aubameyang is a real positive. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I think having those, the three kind of like bumblebees behind him and around <laughs> trying to win the ball back, kind of passing it quickly like that, that is a, that is a kind of formula that I think Arteta has stumbled, maybe not stumbled upon, but he's, he's, he's found and he's, he's enjoying it. Um, and, you know, even, even when he uh, turned to Willian, that was, you know, another bumblebee player, right? A little busybody who's going to try and, I mean, you hope anyway, kind mm. of make those passes, chase down players. I wouldn't put Pepe in that same category. I would sometimes put Martinelli there, but he's not quite, you know, I don't think he's necessarily the kind of on-the-ball creative player, obviously, he's, but he does have the energy. Um, no, I think I think, I think think it's really positive to see Aubameyang smiling scoring getting into the positions and having opportunities to score i mean like if we're going to score more goals this season for the rest of the season then they're probably going to come from him i don't think some other players are magically going to start kind of scoring goals i'd like to i mean i i think everyone's sort of itching to see maybe martinelli get a few opportunities in some of these games mm. but the fact is we don't have any leeway to rest players now. You know, we're so sort of playing catch up and have been for so long that unfortunately you've got to stick with the guy who you know has a proven track record of doing it, even if he's out of form. And um, I know you were calling for him to play centre forward for a long, long time when he was out on the left. And, mm. You know, it, it, it did feel like we, we experimented, didn't quite find the right set up to, to make that work and maybe now yeah we've got that and look long may it continue because I don't think without him we're going to we're going to score enough goals to, to stay in this competition or, or qualify for Europe again through the league Yeah Ryan thoughts on Aubameyang and you know how he's being used now and, and what he's what he's doing I mean I think the you know all strikers miss chances that's true yeah. and I think maybe the reason we get uh, hung up sometimes on on Aubameyang missing chances is because we know as a as a team we don't really create enough to feel comfortable when somebody misses one. It's not like when Liverpool miss a chance, they go, "Well, we're going to get another one and another one and another one." With Arsenal, these are like golden eggs, Willy Wonka's golden tickets that we've got to find. And when they come along, it's like we can't let it go. It feels massive when we miss chances because we've become used to being a team which just doesn't fashion enough of them yeah I mean it makes you long for those you remember those Monday nights when we'd have like 28 shots on target and lose 2-1 at home to Swansea or something like that you know (laughs) and like and they only had one shot not even on target just one shot and and still score twice (laughs) it's like you know you don't know what you've got till it's gone and um I think I think with Obama I'm moving centre forward. I think that I, I mean to be honest, I never really was too bothered about the whether we should play left, whether we should play centre forward, because I think that some of the positions that he gets into, whether we play centre forward or on the left hand side, are very similar, I think, especially with a fluid, cohesive three behind him. And I think mm. that the I think the the thing that is fun now is that he does have three young players that I actually like likened to on our podcast to kind of, it kind of reminds me it's of a different quality maybe, but, I, but in terms of the youngsters, I don't think it is a little bit of Messi at Barcelona. Like Messi has been dressed like drastically unhappy for ages, but he loves Pedri and he loves Ricky Pooj and he loves Ansu Fati. Like, and he loves Dembele, like these young guys who are around him. You can really tell. And there's a very similar thing there with Aubameyang and, and, uh, Smith Rowe, Saka, and already I think Martin Odegaard, and I think Martinelli. I think in terms of Martinelli fitting in, for example, I, I would actually at the moment consider giving him a bit of a run on the left hand side instead of Smith Rowe. I think out of those three behind Aubameyang, I actually think Smith Rowe looks like the one, even though Saka could probably do with the rest the most, I mm. think Smith Rowe looks like the one who kind of needs a rest a little bit. And I think Martinelli actually on that left hand side might be a really fun. Mm. additional element in that trio behind him but I mean with Aubameyang I mean I just I think the thing he he cops so much stick I think because you know like when he had that poor run of form a lot of people were talking about it being the 
you know, like very similar to the Urzel situation in terms of like signing a new contract and then his form declining. But I just mm. think that there's such a pressure on his shoulders. You think this guy's the captain and there's a bit of a like, you know, like the original Star Wars movie when it's like, oh, you're my only hope, Obi-Wan Kenobi. It's kind of like, <laughs> it's like that with Oba. It's like, if he doesn't do it, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Exactly. There you go. There's the pud. Unless, you know, unless Kieran Tierney's going to step up and start being like, 15 goals a season now. Um, We've really set the bar know. high for Kieran Tierney tonight. It was yeah, five or on, six man. like it's 10 minutes like, ago. This is it. He's is it going to be a captain. He's going to be 15. No, it, you know what I mean? Though? I think that yeah. until the, the, the wealth, uh, the wealth, the wealth of chances created or goals scored is kind of spread a little bit more. Um, I, th- I actually think that Saka, Odegaard and maybe well, potentially Smith-Rowe and definitely mm. Martinelli could actually all potentially hit double figures at some point if they stay around they they are all potentially double figures in a season players i think so the help is there it's almost like they're they're just a little bit too young at the moment to mm. to be counted on regularly it's a tough one as well andrew isn't it at the moment in that we're in we're in classic every game is a final territory i know arteta said tonight was a final and like if this was a final i think we'd be delighted because we've won it you know and i, I think we're you know, as we're recording and maybe it'll feel a little brighter in the morning or whatever it is. It's not that I don't feel positive about winning. It was great. And to win late is always great. But I think there's a there's a sort of a scarring that goes on. You're sort of traumatized by the idea of what was about to happen, that we were going to be the masters of our own exit from Europe yet again, that there's a sort of a sense of relief, which is more palpable than the sense of enjoyment just at this moment in time, you know, but it is difficult, isn't it? To, to sort of rotate players and bring players in and, and sort of take chances on players. Someone like Martinelli, for example, you know, um, when the stakes are so high, you go to Leicester on, on Sunday, um, is that a game that you start him in? Maybe it is. I mean, he's going to have to make some changes for that, you know. But it is tough at uh, this moment in time not to sort of look beyond the, right, the next game is the most important game. And now we've got another couple of games in Europe against fuck knows who. It could be Rangers. It could be Spurs. It could be Man United. Those ghastly options that Ryan's face, <laughs> if we were on video right now, uh, it would become a new meme. I promise you, he's just a look of disgust on his face at the idea of those options. So it is, it is tough. But I mean, where do you stand on this, on this particular game tonight? As you reflect on it after a bit of discussion, are you more positive, or do you feel like we got out of jail? Is it a show of character that we that we managed to pull it out of the hat in the end? A mix of all three, a heady cocktail of God knows what. I, I, I think there's a relief. Um, Aubameyang was very big on it being a show of character, for sure, after the game and his mm. post-game comments. Um, I'm relieved. I think, if nothing else, it just keeps us all going a little bit longer. I don't really have any major expectations in in the league. I think I look at the, the fixtures coming up, and I, I just think there's just too many games, the likes of which we've dropped points in too many times for me to kind of feel optimistic. And there's a lot of those games coming up. You know, we've got Leicester, obviously, but we've got Liverpool on the rise and Spurs. It's West Ham. If you don't come through that unscathed, then quite mm. frankly, you're, you know, you know, you're done. You're done. So, this at least gives us a little bit of hope until tomorrow when the draw happens and then we can start to freak out again. <laughs> Interesting, Leicester are out. They lost 2-0 at home this evening. So, oh, wow. Um, so they won't be uh, one of the clubs that we can draw. Well, this, is their, this is the beginning of their end-of-season implosion, obviously. Exactly. You remember what happened last season? They were in a great position and then it all fell apart. Yeah, Willian gets his hat-trick on uh, Sunday. <laughs> Um, uh, I'd love to see Brendan Rogers' teeth shining in the sunshine when that happens. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I, I'll, I'll dream of that tonight, but um, yeah, we'll see. I, I won't be putting on any big bets or acres or anything. No, I don't think so. Ryan, your very final thoughts on this one. And, you know, is is there enough in winning a game the way we want it to say, well, fuck it, you know, we kept going. We worked hard. We didn't play brilliantly, perhaps. Maybe we didn't make the right decisions at times. Maybe the manager didn't make the right substitutions, but there was enough quality in there to get done what we needed to get done, sort of against the odds, 
in a way, because, you know, we're not a team that, like if you'd said we need one goal, you'd say, okay, we could probably do that. But for, for Arsenal to need two goals and go and do it, I mean, it's hard. To, okay, I'm not going to say it's a step forward, but it's certainly ticking a box that many people thought couldn't be ticked. I think it's always a positive when you when you snatch a win from something that just looks inevitably like anything but mm. during the game. And I mean, I have no insight into what Mikel Arteta is like inside the dressing room, but I get the impression that he will be really hammering home the positives from tonight. You know, I think he will be talking to them about how, look how far we've had to come for a home leg. And yet you were really up against it and you did it. You know, I think that it's a kind of win we haven't, it felt it feels like we haven't had a kind of win like this for a while mm. actually and usually in european competitions these things tend to go quite badly so i think for me i mean i'm not yeah obviously that it could have been you know plain more plain sailing for sure and way smoother but i wonder what we actually would have learned from cruising through against benfica in a way does that make sense i know it sounds a little bit like <laughs> Uh, like maybe actually a little bit i don't know it sounds like i'm sounds like i'm a masochist but i'm not but um i mean maybe maybe it's that that little you know classic kind of europe against it and you pull it through maybe actually that tells tells them a little bit of something that we didn't know about arsenal because we've not really been mm. like that for a while i don't think yeah so but- i'm i'm all for it i'm i think it's a great it's a great win and uh you know we're probably going to get Villarreal in the next round and dump us out (laughs) it'll be like there you go redemption and nice nice old narrative that would be i'd i'd enjoy that like i don't i really really don't like playing other english clubs no i mean in europe it's that chelsea champions league thing will never (gasps) it's just too soon man Sorry. Uh, okay. What was it? Sixteen years ago? Seventeen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and, and the Europa League final as well. So. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah, <laughs> oh, I, yeah. Too, I, Andrew, literally, I literally forgot that had happened until you just mentioned it. Apologies. Well, there, yeah, more <laughs> memories for you to stew over tonight, Ryan. But look, we better yeah, leave thanks, it guys. there. <laughs> Great to have you on. Uh, thanks a million for being here. Thanks for having me, Andrew. And Andrew Allen, uh, thank you as always. Yeah, great to see you guys. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Thank you very much indeed to the guys, to Ryan, who is on Twitter at Ryan Hun, at Ryan Hun. And of course, one of the presenters, the co-presenter of the Stadio podcast on Ringer FC, along with our friend Musa Okronga and part of Wrighty's House, which you can also find on uh, Ringer FC. It's Ian Wright talking what more do you want with other people too not just ian uh, it's good stuff so make sure you check it out also thank you very much indeed to andrew allen who is on twitter at a allen sport uh, i'm gonna leave it there for this particular episode um there isn't going to be a bit after the music uh, on this show i've had a, a weird 
difficult kind of a day, so I'm not really in the mood to uh, to make a silly voice or do a silly thing or make something up in that regard. So I hope you'll forgive me for that for this time. Uh, all going well. We will have a Leicester preview pod on the Patreon tomorrow. Myself and Lewis will be doing that. For now, though, um, I just want to say, as always, thank you for being here. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the support on Patreon. Thank you for for just being part of this and this thing is something I know that uh, many of you listen to as a form of escapism, but for me as well, doing it can also be a bit of a form of escapism too. And sometimes, sometimes that's what I need. So look, uh, let's keep fingers crossed for the weekend. Um, that we can respond and recover and do well against Leicester on Sunday. It will be nice to follow up tonight's really good win. Really good. It is a really good win. I mean, it's not the most convincing win of all time, but it's still a really good win. It's a positive result. Can't argue. We're into the last 16. Um, we can follow that up with uh, with a result against Leicester. A performance too. Let's not be greedy, but let's start with the results. So until the next one, folks, take it easy. Look after yourselves. Cheers. Bye-bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.